one of my favorite movies to come out in the last, I'll say, decade or so was a, a, a movie from Pixar called Inside Out. Did anybody see it? Everybody see it? If you haven't seen it, I highly recommend it. It's a great movie. It's a story of an 11-year-old girl who is struggling as her family moves from, moves from uh, Minnesota to San Francisco. Most of the movie takes place inside her head with the five main characters, joy, sadness, fear, disgust, and anger being personified and having conversations with one another. The movie takes a twist when uh, two of the characters, joy and and sadness, uh, get sucked out of the headquarters of her brain and are forced to work together to find their way back to headquarters. Meanwhile, meanwhile, fear, disgust, and anger, they, they, they take over headquarters. And you can imagine what happens when those three emotions take over in your head. Fear, disgust, and anger. It doesn't go very well. There, there's a scene when Joy is being her, her bubbly self as she's being followed around by, by sadness. And sadness falls to the ground Joy doesn't understand, says, come on, get up, let's go, what's happening? And when she asks Sadness why she fell to the ground, why, why she's always crying, Sadness replies, crying helps me slow down, it obsess over the weight of life's problems. Wow. During Advent this year, we are looking through a few different illustrations that, that may or may not remind us of what we do during this, this season, of, of what's happening with Advent. But each object or illustration is connected to the, the sense of longing that we are invited to experience during this season. The sense of longing that was connected to those who awaited Jesus' birth and the sense of longing that we experience today as we await Christ's second coming. So last week we looked at gates and how they can remind us of God opening them or breaking down barriers in order to to draw near to us. Really, that's what, what Christmas is all about. And this morning and throughout the rest of this week with our, our daily devotions uh, that we, we email out every day, we're, we're looking at tears. We're looking at tears. Now, we shed tears for all kinds of reasons. When we're happy, we shed tears. When we're sad, frustrated, fed up, or, or simply because we don't have words to express whatever it is that we are feeling. Our first reading this morning, I know it was a long one from Psalm, Psalm 80. It's, it's a lament. It's, it's a lament. Parts of it would have resonated really well with this character, the sadness from inside out, dealing with the weight of life's problems. But it's also a survival song. Did you notice how over and over again it says, restore us, bring us back, remember what you've done before. It tells the story of Israel and, and it invites the struggling people to cry out, how long, O oh Lord, how long are we going to be in this place? How long is it going to be until you restore us again? The Psalms, many of the Psalms tell that story. Now during a, a part of the lament, the writer kind of shakes, shakes his fist at God and says, hey, you've put us on a diet of salty tears, bread of tears. They're the only thing that has sustained us. 
Now, my, my guess is that many of us here have experienced the so-called ugly cry or have, have gone through a time where we've been paralyzed by a sense of sadness. Psalm 80, it, it suggests that the ability to cr- cry, that it actually sustains us in, in, in those moments. So the book that we're using for our, our kind of guide through this Advent season is written by someone named Jill uh, Duffield. And she, she connects the, the moments we're overcome with, where we're, we're just kind of overcome with the weight of the world, to the longing that we experience during the season. She writes, as we anticipate Christ's coming, we may well need to tend instant by instant to that which gives even fleeting life to our souls and to the souls of others. Our desperate prayers, our bread of tears, Maybe that which keeps us alive until we experience Emmanuel. Now, I know what I'm about to say is an extreme overstatement. So if you're going to take one, one thing from the sermon, don't take what I'm about to say out of context, because it will be way out of context. There are, are, are two types of people in the world. Again, giant overstatement. There's more than two types of people. But, but two types of people in the world, those who have no problem crying, those who tear up at, at Hallmark movies. How many of you are those people? You tear up at Hallmark movies. All right. And then, and then those who, um, let's just say, have to work a little harder to engage with their, their feelings, to engage with, with how we allow them to be released to the rest of the world. How many of you can relate with that, that second, second one? You don't have to raise your hands, but you're, you're, you're welcome to. Now, I, I'm in that second category, and it's not that, that those of us who are in that category are cold-hearted or anything, or that we, we think the world is going to fall apart if someone sees us shed a tear. It just takes work to get to that place, and that work can be difficult. My wife, on the other hand, Haley, uh, is one of those people who's, who's incredibly in touch with both her own emotional state and with the emotional states of others. For those of you that, that follow along at the Enneagram, she's an Enneagram 4 in the uh, Myers-Briggs. Uh, she's almost certainly an INFJ with that F being very strong. F stands for feeling. She's, 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 a, she's a feeler. And now we, we live in this space where, where I keep things in and she knows it. And she's well aware She's well aware and she has these like Jedi mind tricks. She has these Jedi mind tricks to, to kind of pull them out of me. And the truth is, once I get to the place where I actually share what's, what's bottled up inside, I'm healthier, we're, we're doing better together, our kids are less confused, everything in our household is just better. Now, kind of from the, the big picture perspective, from the macro perspective, the Hebrew scriptures, the, the, it's one giant story about a people who journey together and who share along the way. And one of the things that they share is tears. A people who, who didn't have everything figured out, but at least they knew that everything wasn't quite right. They were always looking for that next thing. That's what awaiting the birth of the Messiah is all about. And today, we, we acknowledge that there's something wrong 
with the world and we, we share in the pain of it all, brokenness in our own personal lives, problems in our communities, injustice throughout the world. There's issues in our world. There's issues in our lives. And, and we're reminded that today we have a hope, we have a promise for tomorrow. Advent at its core, at its core, is really about a deep longing for things to be made right with our Creator. And that that deep longing will be fulfilled one day. There's a, an interaction that happens at the end of the seventh chapter of Luke between uh, Jesus and, and a woman who we don't know all that much about and, and a, a Pharisee, a group of Pharisees, I should say, but, but one in particular named Simon. And it highlights the power of shared tears. Jesus is invited to have dinner at, at this Pharisee Simon's house. And in verse 37, we, we read that, that a woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar full of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her, her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Pharisees, they, they talk amongst themselves. They're in shock that this woman would even show up. But she went even further. She didn't just show up. She, she let her hair down. She kissed Jesus' feet. She poured out expensive perfume on Jesus' feet. Every action that she took would have been incredibly offensive in that culture. And yet, after Jesus tells a parable about forgiveness and Jesus forgives the the, the woman's sins, he, he then highlights her vulnerability and says, wow, look at this love that she showed me. Look at this love. He tells her that her faith has saved her and that she can go in peace. Now, there's a lot to unpack in, in all that happens here. The, the comments from the Pharisees, the fact that Jesus was having a meal with them in, in, in the first place, that the many sins that Jesus said the woman was caught up in. There's a lot that we could unpack. But I want to take just a few moments today to, to focus solely on her tears, on the tears that she shed. We're told that Jesus sees them, that, that Jesus sees her. He turns to the Pharisees and says, don't, don't you see this woman? Don't you, don't you see her? Don't you see all that she's doing? Don't you see her tears? Now there's a, a good chance that this woman ha- had prayed something along the lines of what we just read in Psalm 80. How long, O Lord? How long until someone's going to notice me? How long until you notice me? I can think of more than a few times in my own life where uh, despite my inability to kind of engage my tears or just put them out all the time that I'm overcome by a wave of grief. When even as someone who struggles to allow himself to cry, I've been completely shut down by my tears. In those moments, I felt alone. I felt like no one really knew what I was going through. And my guess is that many of you have been in the same place. It's important 
when we are in that place that we, we remember stories like this one, that we are not alone. That others who have been, that other people have been through similar experiences and that God sees us and God understands that hurt. The image that reminds me most of that reality is what we see in, in John 11. Uh, many of us know, know what happens here with, with Jesus weeping outside of Lazarus's tomb. Standing there with his, his sisters. It's the shortest verse in scripture. That's what it's known for. Jesus wept. Uh, but it paints a significant picture. A better translation of, of, of Jesus wept is probably Jesus sobbed uncontrollably. The word that is used, it carries a connotation of rocking back and forth. Of, of rocking back and forth in tears. Being so overcome with grief that you, you feel it in every part of your body. When we're in those moments, those moments where we really can't function, as hard as it is, as difficult as it is, it's important to remember that God sees us and that God can relate. Tears, they're, they're also useful. We might not use our tears like, like the woman in Simon's house did as she wiped Jesus' feet, but they, they do serve a purpose. Earlier this week, I read of kind of three types of tears. Some of you may, may know this. There's, there's basal tears. You know what basal tears are? Ba- basal tears, they're, they're in our eyes all the time. All the time. I'm probably pronouncing it wrong. They're in our eyes all, all the time. Uh, they, they protect us from the bacteria and anything else that might get caught in our eyes. Every time we blink, you produce them. There's reflex tears. They come every time an irritant is in the air. So what might cause reflex tears? There's a really common one. You can shout it out. Wow, that was a lot of them. Onions, allergies, smoke, anything in the air that that irritates our eyes. Anything in the air where we just kind of say, I'm not really crying. It's the onions. And then there's emotional tears. Now, there's been all kinds of studies that show that the act of crying goes beyond expression and actually releases toxins that relieve stress. This is something I have to remember the next time one of my my kids is crying and I, I just have to say, hey, they're just releasing toxins. It's okay. It's why after we have one of those ugly cries, we, we typically feel better. They're, they're useful. They're useful. Now, we don't know what sort of relief the woman in Simon's house felt as she cried as she approached Jesus, but it's not a stretch. It's not a stretch at all to think that her tears helped her to get to that place. And perhaps it's, it's because of how honest those tears were. It doesn't take a parent long to recognize their child's fake cry. How many of you parents can remember your child's fake cry? It doesn't take that long to recognize them. On the other hand, it takes much longer for a child to know that their parent knows about the fake cry. But this here, it wasn't to show at all. It was clear that this woman was going through something painful. Something that brought her to her knees sobbing. And she didn't hold back. 
Now, I mentioned I'm one of those peoples that you have to kind of pull tears out of. And some of that, I think, has to do with being honest with myself. Being honest with myself. Uh, I, I, I fall into this rut where I convince myself that I'm okay when, when really there's times where I'm, I'm not okay. And over time, it gets more and more difficult to be in touch with what's really going on in my heart. Now, if you can relate to that at all, if you're one of those people who, who raised your hands and said, you know what, I'm, I'm not one of those people who wears my, my emotions on my sleeves, crying isn't easy for me, I'd encourage you to find someone to help yourself to be honest with yourself. A therapist, one of the pastors here, a Stephen minister. And even if you do wear your emotions on your sleeve, if it's easy to engage with them, you need to be honest with them as well. So today's tears, they, they remind us that, that, that God sees us. They serve as an, a, an important purpose. They are useful. And they help us to be honest with ourselves. And they also remind us of God's promise for a future that exists that our tears won't exist in. Sometimes we, we look at the book of Revelation as the, this big, daunting mystery, this, this thing that's, that's full of confusing imagery. We ask whether John was writing a letter, something that was apocalyptic, or something that was just, just something else. At its crux, Revelation, it's about a time when all will be well. When pain and injustice is no more. A time when the, the Creator lives in harmony with creation. Revelation 7 captures that image. There's, there's a big, big worship, play, worship service that's, that's taking place with angels, with elders, with the, the, the four large creatures they all face the throne of God and they, they celebrate in worship together. John sees the whole thing and he, he writes it down. In verse 13, he writes this. Then one of the elders asked me, these in white robes, who are they? And where, where did they come from? I answered, sir, you know. And he said, these are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve Him day and night in His temple. And He who sits on the throne will shelter them with His presence. Never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat down on them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Again, the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Revelation is written to a people who are, are suffering, a people who are consumed by their tears, people who knew that there had to be something better. 
And the song that is sung at the end here of chapter 7 reminded them and reminds us that God's faithfulness stretches beyond what we can fathom, beyond what we can measure, beyond our tears. There's a lot of murky parts of of Revelation, but, but this part is clear. John, he's privileged to hear a song of praise lifted up by those who had had suffered by the afflicted and who have been washed clean by the blood of the Lamb. It's a song that gives thanks to the God who delivered a weary world, and it gives us something to cling to as we embrace the tears that we shed today. So as we continue through Advent and as we prepare to come to the communion table this morning, I want to invite us to, to hear this hymn again, to hear, to hear this, this hymn from Revelation again. So I'm going to ask you to, to close your eyes in a moment, to, to take some time to think of something that is causing pain, something that is, is causing hurt in your own personal life, uh, an injustice in the world, whatever it might be, and to hear the promise of this hymn. Let's pray together. Loving God, you know our hearts. You know our hurts. You've seen our tears. You've heard our cries. Lord, we lift our pain, the pain that we experience, the injustice that we see, the hurts that we feel. Lord, we lift it all up to you. Thank you for the promise that we're given here from John. Never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat down on them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat down on them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from our eyes. Lord, as we go through the trials of today, help us to not hesitate to share our tears. Help us not to hesitate to share them as we await a day when they will be no more. We pray these things in your name. Amen.